0: In an ever-increasing enjoyment, you will experience that, that eternal life that is promised to you, but you'll experience it right now. That's what saints are to think about. That's what suffering saints are to focus their minds on. That's what suffering saints are to put their attention on. They're to put their attention on the salvation that is theirs in Christ Jesus. It's exactly what we read about in the Bible. The Bible says, 1 Chronicles 16, 23, sing to the Lord, all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day. It says similarly in Psalms 96, verse two, sing to the Lord, bless of his name, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Now, as we get into our text this morning in 1 Peter chapter one, verses 10 through 12, you're going to notice with me that. Peter wants us to see just how certain salvation really is. There, there isn't really to be a doubt in our minds regarding this salvation that is the focus of suffering saints. There, there's not to be some uh, a shade of worry about it. It's, it's certain. It is for absolutely sure. It's not something just for now, however. What we're going to notice today in the text, as we'll read in just a moment, is that Peter explains this salvation As a grace. But this grace is not just something now. It's something that he traces to the past. And then from the past, he pulls it into the present and looks on into the future. It is what we might call, 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, is what we might call an unbreakable chain of grace that the Christian enjoys. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Of our text, John MacArthur said this. He said, Peter is saying... When everything has gone wrong in your life, when nothing is the way you would prefer it to be, look at the blessedness of your salvation. Get a perspective of your salvation. Look at the text with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, and this is the word of the living God. Concerning this salvation, Things into which angels long to look. Let's pray together. Our Father, for the glory of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you direct every mind and every heart to the grace of salvation that is the confident expectation of everyone who truly believes in Christ. Amen. Our salvation is sure. Our salvation is secure. Our salvation is certain. And Peter is showing us that in this text this morning. He's showing us that by pointing out to us four great truths about the grace of salvation. Four great truths about the grace of salvation. Number one, he's going to show us that this grace was anchored in prophetic revelation. This grace was anchored in prophetic revelation. We'll see that there in verse 10. Secondly, he's going to show us how this grace was announced by apostolic proclamation. And he says that also there in verse 12. It was Anchored in prophetic inspiration. It was announced by apostolic proclamation. And then he kind of just throws us in here in the end of verse 12. That this grace was admired by angelic concentration. This grace is admired by angelic concentration. And then we're also going to go dip into verse 13. To show how he kind of brings everything together. And we'll notice how this grace will be awarded at Christ's revelation. This grace is anchored. Announced, admired, and awarded. And he wants you to, he wants your mind, he wants your heart, he wants your attention to be riveted on this salvation that is in Christ Jesus. He doesn't want anything to sway your thinking, to attract your attention, your affection to anything else this morning, but the grace of of salvation in Christ Jesus. And he does that first of all, by showing us that this grace is anchored in prophetic inspiration, anchored in prophetic inspiration. And this is just absolutely stunning. There is not enough time. I thought about just taking the time and drawing this out over a period of weeks and maybe next week we'll come back to it a little bit. Pretty sure we will. But I just want to try to unpack what he says here in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. You know, last year, late last year, I was in Uganda and I was teaching. By the way, during tonight's service, I'm going to give an overview of the most recent ministry in Uganda. So if you're interested in learning about how that trip went a few weeks ago, come tonight at six o'clock. But late last year, I had the privilege of teaching Old Testament survey to the students in Uganda. And I found myself absolutely taken with the realization of the fact that Jesus and and his work of salvation is clearly foretold in the Old Testament scripture. This is what proves to be an anchor for our souls In the midst of uncertain days and difficult times. The fact that the grace of salvation is not something that is simply a construct of modern times. The grace of salvation is not an invention of human minds. But listen, and if you study this carefully, you'll find that it is exactly predicted hundreds, if not thousands of years before the Lord Jesus Christ set foot on earth. Will you do something with me this morning? Would you take your Bibles? Turn to Luke chapter 24. If if we get bogged down anywhere, it's going to be here. And we're just going to plant our flag right here. I want you to see the perfect reliability, the veracity of the grace that is in Christ Jesus as predicted by the prophets hundreds, if not thousands of years before Christ. Look at Luke chapter 24 and verse 24. Luke 24, verse 24. This is the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the road to Emmaus. And these two disciples had met the resurrected Jesus. They didn't know it was the resurrected Jesus, but they're talking to him. And they said this. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see, but him they did not see. Now look at this. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, All that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And look, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Go over and look at verse 44 of the same chapter. Now Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is speaking to his disciples. And he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. You see what's going on here? This is, it's absolute, the the things that happened to Jesus, Jesus himself, everything was perfectly foretold in the Scriptures. That was what the subject of Peter's uh, uh, sermon was on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter two, verse twenty three. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed between by the hands of lawless men. He said in Acts three, eighteen, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that the Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Paul said the same thing in Acts chapter 26. He said, to this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Now, what Peter says here in 1 Peter, if you go back to 1 Peter now, chapter 1, what Peter says is concerning this salvation the prophets who prophesied, now he doesn't say about salvation. He says the prophets who prophesied about the grace. He is uh, uh, comparing, he is, he is bringing together grace and salvation as speaking about the same thing. And what he says is that grace is something, is that which is prophesied hundreds if not thousands of years before the Lord Jesus Christ came in the Old Testament scriptures. The fact that God is a God of grace. That's what Jonah came to know. In Jonah chapter four, verse two, he said, see God, I told you, I know that you were a God of grace. I knew that if these miserable wretches repented, you would forgive them. I know that you're a God of grace. Joel chapter two, Joel gives us instruction. He says, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord. Why? For he is gracious. Psalm 34, 18. This song was on my heart all night long. This, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are what? Crushed in spirit. God is a God of grace. Psalm 86, 5. You, O Lord, are good and forgiving. Psalm 86, 15. You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. The fact of God's grace And not just the the nature of God's grace, but the action of God's grace is something that is seen hundreds, if not thousands of years before Christ ever came. From the very first prediction of this in the Old Testament, and you know where it was, right? Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you, uh, he shall bruise, he shall bruise your heel and you shall bruise his head. From that very first one in Genesis 3.15 to what might be very well considered the height of Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 53, we have this repeated theme of the one who is to come in order to die as a substitute for sinners according to the gracious character of God. See, throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we have this testimony. There's one who is to come who would save to the uttermost parts of the earth, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. Deuteronomy 32, 12, there shall come from the root of Jesse and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. And in him, all the Gentiles shall hope. Now listen, this might come out strongly. I'm pretty sure it will but I want you to hear it very well. You've probably heard about the teaching of someone that maybe you had come to respect because of his last name. You, you've maybe heard of this man named Andy Stanley. He's the son of Charles Stanley. And he leads what's supposed to be a church in, in Atlanta. And he's saying things like this, that what we need to do is that we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. He goes on to say that the Christian faith does not rest on the phrase, the Bible says. I don't know how else to say that, but to say that is devil talk, friends. That is false teaching of the highest order. The reliability of the Christian faith rests upon the veracity of the Old Testament Scriptures. The certainty of your faith rests upon the fact that God is a God of grace as shown over and over again by the prophets in the Old Testament Scriptures. Now, you might say, well, why does someone like that say those kinds of things? And I don't know, maybe He's trying to fix what we say today is the problem of deconstruction. People are deconstructing the faith. They're leaving the faith. They're leaving the church. And isn't that a problem that has to be fixed? Well, maybe, but it's only a problem insofar as Jesus said that 75% of those who respond to the gospel are not going to be genuine. Remember the parable of the seed and soils? 75% 75% of those who heard the gospel didn't respond or responded in vain. They, 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 we know that the gospel won't stick with at least 75%. They prove that they never genuinely had faith in the first place. And I don't think that you can fix that by some smooth argument. I don't think you can fix that by some smooth talk. But if you are thinking today, let me say it this way. If you're here today, maybe you've been, you've been in the church You've been around the church and you've been around churchianity and Christianity for all your life, and you're thinking that maybe you should turn away from Christ. Maybe that's you right now. You're thinking, maybe I'm going to be one of those ones who quote quote, unquote deconstruct. Maybe I'm going to be one who turns away from the faith. Or maybe you're one who is here this morning doubting whether or not, could it be you are here this morning doubting whether or not Jesus, the Jesus of the New Testament is actually God's Christ, is actually God's Messiah. If you want your doubts assuaged, then what I'm gonna tell you to do is go to the Old Testament prophets and see how the character of God is revealed and notice the promises of God and observe the great and precious prophecies regarding God's coming Messiah and you'll see that there's only one man who qualifies to be that Messiah. Let me say it this way. There's only one who qualifies to be your Savior. And if you're here today Lost in your sin. Having no assurance that were you to die today, you'd be with God in heaven. Can I point you to Jesus Christ as the one foretold by the prophets hundreds if not thousands of years ago? And only he qualifies. Only he qualifies. So, this grace is anchored in prophetic inspiration. Notice what he says about these prophets. Prophets. They were inquiring. Peter wants you to know that the prophets were not just writing things without thinking. And he emphasizes that here, doesn't he? Concerning this salvation, the prophets prophesied who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time. Three different words he uses to, to press us that this was not just willy-nilly writing by the prophets. he, He shows their intensive effort in their investigation, in their examination. One man said this, You might say it this way, The prophets of the Old Testament made it their life passion to study the great reality of salvation. Serious desire, he said, consuming passion. Not scholarly investigation for the sake of information, but passionate investigation for the sake of doxology, encouragement, and hope. He is emphasizing the care with which they wrote. They they put all of their effort into it. They were searching and inquiring carefully. Let me show you what I mean. Go with me to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. We could do a lot of scriptures today and we may... But notice what happens. This is just one of the prophets, and I'll show you what I'm talking about here. Daniel chapter 9, look at verse 2 and 3. And then we're going to look at Daniel chapter 12. But Daniel chapter 9. Hundreds of years before Christ. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, this is verse 2 of chapter 9. I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must, come, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely seven weeks. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Look over at chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 8. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until a time of the end. My point is this, they were diligently inquiring. They were were searching, they were examining. These were not willy-nilly things. You have the veracity of of the Old Testament proven out over and over and over again in the words and the repeated prophecy of the Old Testament prophets. But not only were they inquiring, the Bible says they were inspired. If you look back at 1 Peter chapter 1, You notice what he says. He says that they were were diligently inquiring and they were seeking, they were asking. And then he says this. What person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted. These prophets were inspired. They were longing to know the person and the time. They were seeking that, that one who was to come. That's why they wrote, And what motivated them was the Spirit of Christ in them. The Holy Spirit was moving. He says the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter is all over this stuff. He says, no prophecy has come by any private interpretation. But holy men of God spoke as they were, listen, moved by the Holy Spirit. He, he tells us about these prophecies, how they were diligently inquiring, and how they were inspired by God, and particularly inspired about two things. Notice what he says. The Spirit and Christ in them was indicating when he predicted, one, the sufferings of Christ, and two, the subsequent glories. The Holy Spirit was indicating in the prophets two things. The sufferings of the Christ, the sufferings of the Messiah, and his subsequent glories. Think about the sufferings. Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 69, 3. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim, waiting for God. For zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Same thing said about Christ. Isaiah 52:14 As many were astonished at you his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The sufferings of the Christ who was to come. Zechariah 12. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. A spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So that when they look on me. On him whom they have pierced. Zechariah 13. If one asks. What are these wounds on your back? He will say, the wounds I've received in the house of my friends. You see the sufferings of Christ and these are just a few predicted all throughout the Old Testament and Peter says, that was the Holy Spirit directing those prophets and not only directing them to write about the sufferings of Christ but the subsequent glories like Psalm 2:6. As for me, I have set my king on my holy hill. Or Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forward forevermore. The subsequent glories. Isaiah 53 out of the anguish of his soul he's, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge the righteous he shall the righteous one my servant make many to be accounted righteous Daniel 244 and in the days of the kings the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed Daniel 7, and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. Zechariah 2, many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Zechariah 14, on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward and you shall flee to the valley of my mountains for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. And I've got six more pages that I could read to you. These prophecies by the prophets inspired by the Holy Spirit regarding the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. The prophets, when they looked toward Christ, though it might have been dim, though it might have been foggy, someone said, When they looked towards Christ, they saw only two mountains. They saw Mount Calvary and they saw the Mount of Olives. They didn't see the valley in between. What we would call the time that we're in today. The ingathering of the Gentiles. The gathering of the Gentiles to, to Christ. You see, these prophets were inquiring. They were inspired. But then he says they were also informed. He says, verse 12 of 1 Peter 1 it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. They were informed. To them it was revealed that they were not writing for themselves, but they were writing for those who were to come. God told Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. So while it might have been somewhat dim for those prophets... God was revealing to them that they were not simply writing for themselves, but they were writing for the ingathering of the saints for all of the ages to come. And what Peter wants to do is show these these suffering readers that they have something sure and something certain and something secure. They have a grace of salvation that is anchored in prophetic inspiration, it can't change. It will not be edited. It's not going to be modified. This salvation is anchored in prophetic revelation, uh, inspiration. Now, I want to move a bit more quickly. Because that's only one of four. This grace was anchored in prophetic inspiration. But you notice he says, it is announced in apostolic proclamation verse 12 it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven this grace was announced by apostolic proclamation somehow the prophets understood that what they were writing would serve those who were to come Who would deliver one. They would deliver a message. You see what he says there? To those that have been announced to you. That word to be announced. Is is speaking of one. Who delivers a message. they, They delivered a message. But not only that. He says. To those who. To you who through the. Through those who preach the good news to you. There is not only a message that delivered, but there's a meaning that is given. In other words, the apostles supplied the meaning that this was not just any message, but it was a message of good news, of good tidings, of great joy of the full and free forever forgiveness of sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a message that is delivered. There is a meaning that is supplied. But the means, what is the means of this? By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. They did this under the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's good for me, it's good for you that I go away because when I go away, I'm gonna send you a helper. And when he comes, he's gonna remind you of everything that I said paul said in acts six twenty six twenty two he said "I am doing what I do by the help of God. You see this message that is delivered and the meaning that is assigned the, the meaning of good news came under the means of the Holy Spirit and when the, when the message of the, of, of the gospel is heard and you respond to it, you don't say, I've responded to it because I'm so smart. I responded to it because the, the messenger is so slick. But we say, I responded to it because the Holy Spirit drove its message deep down in my heart and I began to respond to the grace of God in salvation. And he's just showing them how the very same message that came from the prophets was faithfully faithfully delivered, faithfully announced, faithfully proclaimed by the apostles. That same message that was inspired by the Holy Spirit was uh, applied by the Holy Spirit to their hearts. And that's why they believed. And then, almost as if out of nowhere, this just—he just throws this in at the end of the at the end of the sentence. He he goes from talking about this 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 message uh, being um, uh, ek, uh, anchored by prophetic inspiration and this message being announced by apostolic proclamation, and then he just throws this in. He says it is admired by angelic concentration. Things into which. Angels long to look. He just wants us to be so amazed, so riveted to this grace of salvation that he says, by the way, the angels in heaven who day after day, moment after moment, eon after eon are in the presence of the living God. Those same angels who were there on the day when God created the heavens and the earth. And they sang with an incredible joy when they saw God create a tree and when they saw God create man and when they saw God create woman. They had the privilege of seeing all of those things. But you know what they stretch out their necks for? You know what they try to, they long to look for? They long to see the work of God's redemption in saving men and women like you and me. This is what they concentrate on. You know that angels smile. They rejoice when someone trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Luke chapter 15 verse 7, And there is rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. Angels smile. This is the concentration of angels. They've had the privilege of seeing all these things that they've seen. Creation and, and they see the glory of God and then their presence of the incredible glory of God day and night and night and day. They see how God is working things together according to his plan. And they see how the king's heart is in the hand of God and he turns it whichever way he will. But it's really something to an angel. When they look down say, you know, I see, I've seen God create clouds and I've seen God create a fish. But man, when he saved Bob Fry, that was really something. When he saved Dale Tyson, that was amazing. When he saved Derek Shank, they're stretching their eye, their necks. That's When he says they, they long to look, that's what the word, they, they're stretching out their neck. Like they're, they're pushing. You can imagine angels in heaven if that's the way, like... Elbowing each other, trying to get a glimpse of when God is doing His work. Even right now, God is doing a work of redemption in someone's heart. Even in this place right now, you came in here today, you didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you didn't know for sure that, you don't know for sure that if you were to die today, you'd be with God in heaven. But right now, God's starting to bring you to Himself. He's starting to unveil His truth to you, and you're saying, like the says, I find my heart strangely warmed. God's beginning to draw you to Himself. And the angels are just saying, would you look at that? Look at that. He's doing it again. They smile. But not only do they smile, they sing. I want you to just turn with me very quickly to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. I've so loved going through the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. It was taken by this when we studied it a few months ago. Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song. They sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels. They, they, they say, we can't, hand, take, we can't take this anymore. We can't be silent. The voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The angels sing at the work of redemption. And Peter's telling these readers, You're suffering. You're scattered, you're sore, you're hurting. But I want you to know you have a grace of salvation that is anchored in prophetic inspiration. You have a grace of salvation that was announced in apostolic proclamation. You even have a grace in salvation that is admired by angelic concentration. And if you go back to First Peter chapter one. You see, these verses, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, are kind of a hinge. He's, he's leaving one subject behind and introducing another, but before he does, he, he has to bleed over into verse 13 and continues talking about this grace. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace. You see... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The grace that will be awarded at Christ's revelation that will be brought. That word brought, is it's, it's a word that you use, you're just carrying it. You're carrying it so as to deliver. You're carrying it, taking it from one place to another. This grace, he says, this same grace that was inspired by the Spirit, through the prophets, announced by the Spirit, through the apostles, which is the, uh, admired by the angels, this same grace one day. See, from past, present, to future, this very same grace is going to be brought with Jesus when he comes again. This grace, indeed, is the anticipation of saints it's what we anticipate when Christ comes we're looking forward to the day when Christ is revealed when he comes bearing or carrying the, his grace with him grace is what initiated our salvation but grace is the anticipation of our salvation and in him we've received what is it what does john say grace upon grace Grace where there was grace. Grace in the place of grace. It's what we're looking forward to. Our Lord Jesus Christ is coming with grace. And I believe we will be just as struck then. Perhaps more so with the reality that we don't deserve it. That's what we are anticipating when the Lord Jesus returns. We are setting our hope on that very thing. That one day, someday, Jesus will come. And that he is bringing with him. His reward. And you know what? I think we'll be just as stunned. We'll be stunned because we will know we don't deserve it. <laughs> That's what grace is, right? You don't deserve it. We will know we don't deserve it. We might, you might say, oh, Joe, I have a pretty good idea right now of how sinful we are or how sinful I am. But let me tell you, that, that is nothing compared with knowing the depth of your sin when you are in the presence of the blazing glory of the Son of God Himself. There will be, I think, a greater sense of our unworthiness at that point than in any other time in our lives. And the grace that we received in the gospel will just be replaced by more grace in the revelation Of Jesus Christ. I think we're going to have to be glorified. To be taking all that in. Our bodies will explode. Without being glorified. When we take in the reality of our unworthiness. And the incredible. Riches. Of God's grace. In Christ Jesus. That is the anticipation of the saints. But it's not only the anticipation of the saints. It's the motivation. And that's Peter's point. Want you to live a holy life. Be sober mind, gird up the loins of your mind, to live a holy life because you know. One day, someday. He's coming. And he's coming with grace. He's coming with grace. I think that is a wonderful motivation to godly. Holy living in the midst of trials. And they say, well, in what way? Well, maybe, let me explain it this way. When our kids were young and I would take a trip, it would be a a temptation for me or for my wife to say, now listen, daddy's coming home, so you better behave. Okay, we'll we'll make it. It's a total another thing for me to say, hey, I'm in the airport right now. I just stopped by, uh, what was that place? Godiva Chocolates for the girls and Caleb Godiva Beef Jerky or something. <laughs> and I got a whole load of it and I'm bringing it with me. How do you think they, they react to that? How do you think they, they wait with great anticipation? They're motivated. Man, I tell you what, That boy finally makes his bed and they start cleaning things up and they're they're good to their mom. Why? Because dad's coming with his reward with him. That's the way we think about Jesus. He's coming with an armful, a load of grace, and that's what motivates holy living. Because I know, friends, I know he's coming but he's coming to replace the grace that I haven't even used up (laughs) with more grace. The salvation that every believer in Christ enjoys right now is the salvation which the prophets spoke of hundreds if not thousands of years before the Lord Jesus Christ came. And that is the same salvation that we anticipate more fully when Christ comes again. The grace of salvation, it is anchored in prophetic inspiration. The the grace of salvation is announced by apostolic gospel proclamation. It's even admired by angelic concentration and one day will be more fully rewarded at Christ's revelation. I want to close this morning by telling you a story. The story of a friend, an acquaintance of mine, Her name was Amber. She was a friend of mine back in college in the early 90s. In the early 90s, she responded to a call to go on a missions trip during an upcoming spring break. For months, she prepared. For months, she prayed. For months, she raised funds for that trip. She was active in various kinds of ministry. She was kind. She smiled. She carried her Bible with her. But there was a problem. The problem was, Amber wasn't saved. Through all of the prayer, through all the preparation, through all the ministry, through all the anticipation, she had come to realize that she had never come to receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. She was going to a Christian college. She was active in ministry. She went to church. She was going to go to another country in order to help the people there understand something about the grace of God in salvation. But the longer she thought about the grace of God in salvation, she understood that she never repented of her sin and that she never trusted fully in the work of Jesus Christ in her place. And you know what Amber did? Instead of arguing, instead of fretting, instead of resisting, when she realized that fact, that she was not ready should the Lord Jesus Christ come at that moment, Amber humbled herself. She didn't care that she had a reputation to keep up. She didn't ask what people would think. She just looked at the salvation that was anchored in the Old Testament, preached by the apostles, even admired by the angels, and that would one day be awarded by the Lord Jesus Christ. She repented of her sin. And she received Christ as her Savior. And from that day, that was the attention of her life. What's the attention of your life this morning? What is it that your heart is riveted to? What is it that your mind is pasted on? Is it the grace of salvation? If you can't say today that you know for sure that if you were to die today that you'd be with God in heaven, does today need to be the day that you take this absolutely sure, that you take God at His word, this absolutely sure promise that He's given? Is today the day when you'll repent of your sin and transfer your trust from yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, who the Bible says, suffered and suffered. And bled and died on the cross. Because on the cross. He was paying the penalty for your sin. And my sin. He was taking God's wrath in our place. And that he died. And that he was buried. And three days later. He rose again. Bodily just like he said. Seen by hundreds. Testified for generations. This Jesus. Is not only the Jesus of history, but He can be the Jesus of your heart. If today you'll humble yourself, repenting of your sin, and believe only on the Lord Jesus Christ, would you do that today? Let's pray together. As we come to you today, O Lord, we're so thankful for this salvation, this saving grace that even in the midst of trials and heartache and heartbreak, hardship, is, is the comfort of our heart, the, the joy of our soul, the motivation for our holiness. And we ask, O oh Lord, that if there are any here today who do not know Christ, That you would do a work in them right now as they, in their heart between them and you, confess their sin and express faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you do that for your glory and by your grace and strengthen Christians today with this sure, certain, secure salvation? We pray this in Jesus' name and together all God's people said, amen. Would you stand together?